there's, a, um, there's something that I believe the church needs to desperately get a hold of. And that is that we as a church depend on God. Heather, you're here. I didn't even know you were here, Heather. Hey, Heather's here. <laughs> I got excited for a second. Good to see <laughs> Listen, we, I believe that we desperately need to get a hold of the fact that we need God. And I, I'm just going to, I don't know, I'm going to feel better after I say this. So let me just say this. We're, it's not the church programs that make a church grow. It's not uh, necessarily the skill set of one individual or the talent. You know, what we really need is the supernatural power of God, right? And a church that gets a hold of God through prayer. That says, God, we need you desperately. And so I want to say thank you to all of you who connected with us as we prayed Heather through and, and the family through. But these, these are the kind of things that we need to engage in, right? Because our God is the God who answers prayer. And we're a people who are totally dependent on him. So today, I, I just want you to know, even after the message, obviously, we always have an altar call. And even after the message, I'd like to welcome you to come to the altar. There's a need. There's a desperation. There's something that you need God to do. Would you join us at the altar? We'd love to pray with you and believe that God's going to do the impossible. Because he does. Because he does. So um, as we continue today, I'd like to welcome you to go with me to Matthew chapter 5. We've been going through the scripture verse by verse as we looked at the life and ministry of Jesus. And um, last week, we said that we were going to begin to dive into the teachings of Jesus, what Jesus taught. We looked at the life of Jesus two weeks prior. Uh, last week, we took a break to prepare ourselves to be able to receive the teachings of Jesus because we said in order to receive the teachings of the Lord, we have to accept that our attitudes need a makeover. And our attitudes, meaning our disposition about life, our disposition about others, our disposition about situations, our attitudes. All of us need an attitude makeover before the Lord. Secondly, we said that we have to have an attitude of, of teachable. we got to be teachable people. In other words, when the Lord teaches, we can't come with him with excuses or with the I know this already attitude. Right? So we got to be teachable before the Lord. And then we notice as we read the scripture that saying yes to Jesus means that we will say no to many earthly things. And I just want to pause there for a minute. And I want to make sure that you hear the truth about Christianity. To say yes to Jesus will mean saying no to something or someone. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something. And so you got to remember that in life. If you're saying yes to something, there's something that you're saying no to automatically. And that's the reality of the kingdom of God. And so as we dive today into the teachings of Jesus, into the Beatitudes, um, we're going to notice that Jesus has given us a picture of the kind of character that we're supposed to develop or nourish, the kind of character that's supposed to define our lives. So today, we're going to look at the teachings that focus on the kind of character Jesus desired in the disciples then and desires in us today. And some would say, well, pastor, it's like Christmas season. Don't you want to share stories about shepherds and the wise men? You know, isn't there something like Advent or something like that that you want to go through? 
Uh, why are we going through character uh, stuff on a, on a, in December? We're talking about character in December. Why is that, Pastor? And I, I want to share why. When I, when I mean character, when I say character, I mean the person that you are, the person that I am, and the person that I'm becoming. Because every day I am someone becoming someone. Every day I am someone becoming someone, right? Every day I'm working on my character for the positive or the negative. So, why are we talking about character? Three very simple reasons. Number one, we were just going verse by verse. And it just so happens that here we are. And I am resisting the urge of just preaching another Christmas message, which I love the Christmas story and I love all that stuff. And it's so important and never gets old to me. But I believe strongly that God has been speaking to us very clearly to stay on this course. Secondly, I love preaching verse by verse because then you can go home and you won't ask your spouse stuff like, have you been talking to pastor about me? <laughs> or man, I just met with pastor and he just told my business. No, we're going verse by verse. Therefore, if God is convicting, if the shoe fits, <laughs> all right, <laughs> we're going to put it on. And so I appreciate that when we just listen to the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit does some incredible things. I know that I've been in services over and over again where God just told my business, right? It's like, man, that was so good. And a friend of mine or a loved one was next to me going, mm-hmm. You hearing this? <laughs> right? So keep your elbows to yourself. Okay, look at your neighbor. Say, keep your elbow to yourself. Okay? <laughs> so today, here's another main reason why we're looking at character. And I believe this is the heart of God this morning. I believe God wants you to be the gift. I believe God wants you to be the gift. And it's a season where we as Americans, let's face it, we're consumers. We've adjusted to have the greatest and next big thing. That's kind of the normality here. We want bigger things, better things. We think we deserve them. We think we're entitled to them. I'm not judging you. I'm talking about me, okay? Um, so if this, just talking about all of us. And I believe that as a church, that as a people, of, as the people of God, that I, something powerful, if we were to just make the commitment to say, instead of expecting gifts. I want to be the gift. I want to be the gift to my community. I want to be the gift to my family. I want to be the gift to those who are hurting. And I believe that when we say yes to the character of, of God in us, that we become a blessing. And I want to be a blessing. You know, at the end of our lives, what's going to matter? What do you think people are going to be talking about at the end of your life. They will not talk about how much money you made for your company. They will not care about the stuff that you had while you were in this world. They will not talk about your skill set in a certain deal that you do, whether it be playing guitar or whatever, maybe that won't be what matters most. They won't talk about how great an athlete we, we are. They won't talk about how smart we are or anything like that. What will matter most is the joy and peace or lack thereof that you displayed in your life. What will matter most is the way that you love God and the way that you love others. And your connection to them. And then what will matter most is what came out of you when life squeezed. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes life squeezes. 
And uh, sometimes it's because of things that we've done. Sometimes it's because of pressure or whatever. It's things that we don't even want, but life squeezes. And I got to be honest with you. Throughout this year, there have been times where I've been squeezed, where I've been tried, and the things that have come out have not been pleasant things. I've not, it's, like, it's not the character of the kingdom of God. So again, I'm not throwing stones here. I'm with you here. But I believe that God wants us to focus on what matters most. And I got to tell you, your char- character matters. Your character is something that you will develop that you will never regret. If you turn it to God and say, God, I want the character of your son in me, it'll always be a blessing to those that surround you. Kerry Newoff in his book, I didn't see it come and said that um, most people's lives are even reduced to a sentence. When it comes to it, and I'm gone to be with Jesus, people just speak of me of a sentence. They'll either say, that dude was a mean, ornery dude, or man, he was a blessing. Man, did he have a smile? Did he have joy? Was he a servant? Or man, was he difficult. What, what's going to be the story of your life? What's going to be the line of your life? Well, the first funeral that I have ever, I don't know if I should. Well, I'm here. So, I remember I was like, boy, I was so scared to death. I was never done it. Um, seen just a couple and I just wanted to be a blessing. And family came up to me and said, well, Pastor, I uh, don't know what to tell you. He's a mean dude. Um, we don't, not many people want to say much, so if you can just get through this for us, it'd be awesome. I said, yeah, I'm preaching salvation. <laughs> Where do I go from here? What's, what's the legacy that we leave behind? What's the legacy that we'll be, leave behind? I tell you that character matters. I want to be the gift. I want to be a blessing while I'm alive. I want to spend the rest of my days being a blessing while I'm alive, working on my character so that I can be a blessing. Anybody like that today? So what does the Bible say about this character that we're to have? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. We're just going to dive there. It reads this way. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We'll just pause there. Father, thank you for your word today. We are so in desperate need of understanding what this means for us. Have your way. Speak to us in a very powerful way this morning. Lord, cement your word, your truth in our hearts. We say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in context, we said that Jesus would go up to a mountainside or even on the water in order to be heard. He used the natural elements in order for, uh, so that the thousands that would crowd him would be able to hear his voice. But yet we also said last week that Jesus waited for his disciples to gather around him. And very clearly this sermon, this message that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, it's really a message that was dedicated first to the disciple to that person who said yes to follow Jesus. We also said that this is probably not one message in itself that happened all at once. It was more, probably more so Matthew relating to the reader 
all of the different messages that Jesus continually taught them as he taught them the character and the way of the kingdom. So the, Beati- so the Sermon on the Mount can really be called the message to the disciple or the discipleship discourse or the way of the kingdom of God or the way of the disciple. It really is more so for those people who say, who say completely 100% yes to God. And so in the midst of that, we said that Jesus, notice how the scripture reads there, that he sat down and he opened his mouth and he declared. And that was a very Jewish thing to say from Matthew, to say that this teacher, because this is what teachers would do, when they're about to expound, when they're about to teach their doctrine or their truth, they would assume a seat in the synagogue and they would begin to formally present their new teaching to the people. So Jesus was now teaching authoritatively, right? He was assuming a seat of position among his disciples in order to teach the truth. And that's why Matthew said, and he opened his mouth to declare. In other words, he formally began to expound on the message that he was expecting his disciples to follow. So then we have there that Jesus says, as he begins there, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we look at that scripture, the word blessed, what do you think blessed means? Talks to me. Talk to me. Huh? God is with you. What else? That's it. You have everything you need. What else? The favor of God, right? The favor of God is God's blessing and covering that goes with you every day of your life, right? That's good news. Anybody want the favor of God? Amen. What else does it mean? God's presence in you. We want that. I want him around me. I want him surrounding me. I want him in me. Yes to that. What else? Spiritually growing or spiritually prosperous. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that it means, very simple, happy. To be blessed is to be happy. I want to pause here for a minute. You can be a Christian and be happy. It's actually a good witness to smile. Somebody said that once they went to a church and there was a board meeting and the board members came out, not here at the Rock, but the board members came out and they said, wow, are the, do those guys know, know Jesus? Like, yeah. Well, can they tell that to their faces? <laughs> Listen. Listen, happiness is a good thing. We talk in the church about not relying on happiness because we've made happiness this feeling, right? Like happiness is just a feeling that comes with the circumstances of life, and I totally understand that. We can't be driven by happiness that's circumstantial. But when the Scripture says happiness here, bless, it's talking about an eternal happiness. It's talking about an eternal joy, something that sustains you from within because you know that no matter what hell breaks out here on earth, you belong to him and one day you're going to be with him. And that's really good news. Anybody with me today? Blessed. Blessed, the Bible says. Also, that word means a person who's blessed, right? When Jesus is blessed, this person is a person who's happy, eternally happy. This person is a person that you should congratulate. So when Jesus begins to speak this way, he's actually telling to his, his disciples to say, guys, this is the kind of person that you should congratulate because this person is really blessed. Who? Someone who is poor in spirit. The Bible says, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. Does the Bible say for one day the kingdom of heaven will be theirs? No. It says right now. It's a present reality. The kingdom of heaven is theirs right now. And that's something that's just to come, but also something right now. So what does the Bible tell us about the kingdom of God? It tells us this. We know that the kingdom of God is the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. He is the king of that kingdom. So then that means that God wants to share. I love it when God shares. God, because of his love for us, wants to invite us intimately to be a part of his kingdom and to reign with him. What an awesome God he is. The Bible also tells us that the kingdom of God is eternal, right? It's before this earth was created. It's before you and I. It was their eternity past, and it will be their eternity future. We also know that according to Jesus, the kingdom, uh, uh, the kingdom of, of heaven is not just something that's in the future, but that it's something that we can experience presently, right now. This is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He was speaking of himself, right? And the work that God was doing even right there at that moment. So do you know that the kingdom of God right now is in our midst? And if you're a believer, the Bible says that what that your, your spirit, right, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And this is the hope of glory, the Bible says. What? That Christ lives in you. And if Christ lives in you, his kingdom is in you. Therefore, you have kingdom authority. And you're supposed to walk in it, not just talk about it. That's really good news. Amen. Supposed to walk, walk in it. So the kingdom of God is a present reality. Okay, well, what does that look like? Is it palaces? Is it mansions? Is it stuff? Well, no, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. In other words, it's not about what we consume. It's not about consumerism. But it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? If you are a person who is governed by the kingdom of God, the Bible says that you are righteous. Righteous not because of your works, because we're all sinners that fall short, but righteous because Jesus paid the price for our sins. And I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus 100% cleanses you, 100% makes you righteous, 100% takes away every guilt, every shame, and every condemnation, and every lie that was attached to your identity. The blood of Jesus is powerful. So you're righteous. A person who's a part of the kingdom of God is righteous. Do you see yourself as the righteousness of God? So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? Old things pass away, all things become new, right? He died for your sins so that you would be the righteousness of God. I want you to think about that, brothers and sisters. When you wake up in the morning, do you realize that you are the righteousness of God? And that's the, does that change the way you think about yourself and the way you think about the day? The kingdom of God is righteousness. You're made righteous in him. The kingdom of God is peace. Peace. And I love the definition by Noah Webster, old dictionary. Peace is this. Freedom from internal warfare within. From the torment of the sin that plagues our spiritual lives. Hallelujah for peace. 
The kingdom of God not only makes us righteous, but brings a level of peace within because sin has not and will not overcome. Can anybody, anybody praise God for that today? That's freedom in Christ. Peace. Freedom from an internal warfare due to the sin that plagues our lives. And joy. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And joy is not that circumstances work out just the way that we want them all of the time. But when things don't work out the way that we want them to, we are anchored by the presence of Jesus. And it's always good news for us because, man, things are working well. God is blessing me. Praise God. I am favored by God. Man, things are going terrible. God is blessing me. I am identifying with him on the cross, and this is working out for my good too. Praise the Lord. You understand? So in every circumstance, I have a reason to rejoice because my faith is anchored in Christ. He, he is a joy that sustains me through every season of life. So the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you are a person who is poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven governs over your life. The promises of the kingdom of heaven, they're yours right now. Not tomorrow, but right now. Now, what does it mean then to be poor in spirit? I want to be a person who's defined by this character trait of, of being poor in spirit. Well, the poor in spirit doesn't necessarily mean that we're broke or have nothing. Okay? It doesn't mean that we don't have any money. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're destitute. Even though we find a lot of people who are destitute, who have very little, who have this you know, who, can, who oftentimes are poor in spirit. I remember in Nicaragua, uh, just being on a mission trip and, and seeing so many homes that were really like little caves, little holes with a little hammock in the middle. And people just had this joy because they had Jesus and they had no need for anything. They had a contentment I've never experienced in my life. They had a contentment that I'm trying to get to today right? They were poor in spirit. But you can be broke and not be poor in spirit. Someone can have very little and be very haughty and very proud and very selfish, right? So it has nothing to do with abject poverty in that regard. It's talking about a spiritual condition. A person who is poor in spirit is a person who is deeply aware of their desperate need of a Savior, this is not only an awareness of desperate need that they have physically, but an awareness of their desperate need for God to do what they cannot do for themselves. And it's not just a desperate, an awareness of that desperate need, but it's an awareness to the point that it drives us to cry out before him. Say, God, the, the word there, poor in spirit, that word poor actually speaks to beggarly. That's something that we look at negatively. Well, we don't beg. Begging is not something that we like to even talk about. In our culture, in our context, begging is considered just a negative thing. But I want to reframe that word here. I want us to think about that differently. God is looking for people who live aware of their brokenness and their desperate need to connect to a God. They're so desperate for him that they open up their mouth and they cry out, God, I desperately long for you. 
That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for water, my soul thirsts for the living God. When can I meet for the living God, with the living God? And when you think of that description of the deer panting for water, it's not that the deer doesn't know where water is. I want you to think about it this way. The deer is running next to a river, but it can't stop because it's predators behind. And it can't stop. So it's running away from that which is trying to take its life, and it's begging. As the deer pants for water, my soul thirsts for God. How do I know that's the right translation? Because David was running from his enemies. And he was crying out for God's mercy. We need a church who knows how to cry out for God's mercy. A people who are desperate for him. Being poor in spirit is not only recognizing our desperate need of a Savior. It also means that we cry out to him. And let me just say this. This is good news for us. Why is this good news? If you're here today and you realize that you need Jesus. If you're here today and you realize, like me, that you're a couple fries short of a Happy Meal. If you're here today and you recognize that no matter, no matter what you do, you can't pay the price to make right the things that you've done wrong. If you realize that there are things that you have broken that you cannot put together. If you realize that you've caused some deep hurts in others' lives to the point that it will take a miracle from God for there to be healing. If you realize that you have been offended and offensive, there is a Savior for you. There is mercy for you. For the person who says, I am a broken mess. And I need him desperately. Jesus will meet you right there. Jesus will meet you in that place. Listen to what the word of God says. Psalm 51. For the Lord does not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. Lord, you're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God. In other words, that which you accept is a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will never despise. What does that mean? Not broken like no good broken, but a humble, a humble attitude before God. Because God, I made a mess and I'm in desperate need of you. This person, God never turns away. Isaiah 57, verse 15 on down. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. And I also dwell with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You know, that's awesome. God is saying, my ways are higher than your ways. I dwell in high places, but I also love to dwell with the broken, with the hurting, because I love to revive those who are in desperate need of me. Isn't that good news? Isaiah 66, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you can build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. In other words, what can you make me? Everything is mine. Everything is totally, completely mine. But look at what I do look to. But to this one I will look. To the person who is humble and contrite of spirit, contrite again, broken before the Lord, and who trembles at my word. That's good news today. That is good news. If you're here today and you realize, I need the Lord, 
I need his salvation. I'm in desperate need of his grace in my life. The Lord will not turn you away. If I am going to be the gift in this season, if I'm going to be a blessing to those who surround me, I first have to acknowledge I am in desperate need of him. And I got to say, Lord, make me a person who is poor in spirit. Next, we're going to close with this. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Anybody ever called you and said, man, praise God, I'm going through a tough season of mourning. High fives. You're like, okay, there's some medication. (laughs) You know, nobody really thinks about mourning in a positive way, but the Lord here in Scripture teaches us to look at mourning very differently, right? What does mourning mean? A person who mourns is a person who is saddened or is grieving intensely, even to the point of crying. Even to the point of feeling like they can't do life as normal. You know, to the point where you're losing your appetite. To the point where you are having a hard time going through the normal seasons of life. Mourning is a human reality. There is no way to go through life without mourning. Because we are Christians doesn't mean that we don't go through mourning seasons. As a matter of fact, God has appointed times for us to mourn because I believe that he wants to meet us in our mourning so that we would have a revelation of him and encounter his truth in a deep place that he can only reveal to us when we're in the valley. Mourning, mourning, a person who mourns is a person who's deeply grieving intensely over someone or something. Jesus said that those who mourn are to be congratulated. He says, you see that person? Those who mourn, who are grieving intensely, who are weeping, those people are worth congratulating. You want to know why? They're going to be comforted. They are going to be comforted. So mourning is not something to ignore or run away from. Mourning is not the absence of the kingdom of God in our lives. We said the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. So yes, you can be righteous in God. You can be anchored in the fact that the Lord is is yours, that you belong to him. You can have internal peace because sin does not have dominion, and yet at the same time be mourning. Mourning. So why are you mourning then? Because of the loss. Because of what you see in this world. Because of how you see sin destroying the people that you love. Because of the sin that plagues uh, our lives and that we struggle with, mourning can be the avenue of God uses in our lives to draw us close to him. Mourning can be God's perfect will for our lives at this moment. Now, again, what is it then that the disciple mourns for? Or what is it that he mourns about? When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, what exactly are they mourning about? Number one, I said this already, the devastation of sin in their lives. Lord, I am mourning over the sin in my life that I'm turning to you. I got to tell you, there's no sin I hate more than the sin in my life. And there's something beautiful about coming to God and saying, oh God, I am mourning the sin in my life. I want it to be done with. I I want you to destroy that in me. But not only do we mourn sin in our lives, but we also mourn the devastation of sin in our world. Listen, if we are 
truly pregnant with the kingdom of God in us, and if we really have the heart of God, there's no way to look at the world and not be broken and not mourn. To not look at the news and look at the things that are, uh, that are going on and not just hurt over the utter brokenness that's taking place. You and I as believers, if we're going to have the heart of God, listen, if you want to tap into hearing the voice of God in a very clear and tangible way, pray this. Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours. You want to know what God called you to do? You want to know what your purpose in life is? Begin to cry out to God. Break my heart for the things that break yours. And you will find that God will lead you in intercession. Mourning is fertile ground that leads to prayer, intercession, standing in the gap. And prayer moves the hand of God. And prayer moves the hand of God. This kind of mourning brings sobriety, brings clarity to our spiritual mind. This kind of mourning is the fertile ground for intercession. This kind of mourning will be comforted by the move and by the presence of God. Now, I want to say this. There is a difference between mourning as believers and throwing ourselves a pity party. I want to pause and say that there is a difference between mourning as believers and throwing ourselves a pity party or commiserating with others in a, in a negative way. And what is the difference? The direction of our mourning makes the difference. The direction of our mourning. If I am mourning and grieving before God for God to comfort me, then I will be comforted. But if I am mourning before man for man to comfort me, then I run the risk of becoming dependent on people, being bitter because they never meet my expectations, and becoming entitled. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? What we do with our mourning is really important. It's really valuable, right? And we can have the choice to either take our mourning to God or take our mourning to other people. And when we take it to people, we run the risk of getting offended, becoming entitled, becoming bitter, and becoming dependent on others. If I mourn with those, now when it comes to the body of Christ, if I learn to take my mourning with people who are God seekers, in other words, I'm really grieving, I'm really mourning, but I want to, I want to take this season to God, and I know that I need a brother or a sister in Christ, you know, to partner with me to get through this season. I need to find a God seeker. I don't want somebody who's just going to be comfortable with me in this situation. I want somebody who's going to be run, run with me outside of this thing or through this thing so that God will have his way. That's totally different. Running, taking our mourning to a brother or sister who's a God seeker is going to bring about God's revelation, God's favor, and a unity to the body of Christ like nothing else. But if we run, if, our, if we take our mourning to those who want to ripe about how unfair life is, then I run the risk of stunting my spiritual growth. And there's a lot of people who want to live their lives complaining about how unfair life is. And I want to say this to you. God doesn't care. Fair, fairness has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Now, I'm thankful that we live in a country that we get to have righteous laws and that we get to try to represent others and represent the poor and speak for justice. We have a responsibility as American citizens. But let me just tell you something. God does not care about fairness. It doesn't mean that he's not a just God. 
It is, means primarily that he's wondering, will you obey me even when things are difficult? Will you trust me even when it doesn't make sense? Even when things don't seem fair, will you trust that I have a perfect will for you? Would you stand with me right now? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. As I was preparing, I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to say this. One day we will answer God for the following. He will ask, where are those who run into the secret place to get an answer from me? Where are you among the saints who mourn into victory or commiserated in defeat? Where are you among the saints who mourn into victory or just remain in that same pit? And I believe God would ask us, where are those who are not being pacified by the things of this world but are hungry for me? My God and my Father, we turn to you today. I thank you for your great grace. You looked at your disciples and you begin to teach the way of your kingdom and what needs to be congratulated. And when I look at the Beatitudes, I say, oh man, I got ways to go. But I want your character to be etched in my soul. To be etched in my mind. Lord, as we turn to you, we want to be the gift this season, we want your character in us that we can be a blessing to you and to those who surround us. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Now, can you just picture the disciples? They said yes to following Jesus. They left their nets. And then Jesus begins to teach them. And he says, you want to know what you should congratulate and what you should seek in your life? You should seek to be totally broken before God. I know that you live in a culture where people like to flaunt their spirituality and they like to flaunt their positions and they like to look special. But I tell you that the kingdom of God belongs not to them, but to those who realize that they are sinners in need of a savior. And I will congratulate you. The more you recognize how desperate you are and how dependent you are on me for your salvation. You want to be blessed? You want to be congratulated? Jesus said to his disciples, mourn. Can you imagine their faces? Mourn. I want you to learn to mourn. I want you to learn to cry. I want you to be at a place, allow the, the emotions to rise up and come to me with that reality when you're grieving and when you're hurting and when you lose appetite and when it's hard to go through the day. Man, I tell you, when you come to me in that brokenness, when you come to me in that, I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm looking for people who are not going to run away from mourning, but are going to take their mourning and run into me. Isn't that good news? Can you imagine the face of the disciples? Like, what is this? Well, God looks at us and he says to us, I still demand the same character. Will you trust me when life doesn't seem fair? 
when you trust me when things don't work out the way that you want them to? And will you nourish in your heart, develop in yourself the character of someone who's dependent on me? If that's you today, you're here today, and as uh, even as Sister Rachel kind of uh, alluded to, as the Lord really spoke to her this morning, you're here today, and you realize you're mourning, you're going through a tough, grieving season in your life, and today you realize that you need to take that to God and not to others, but you need to take it to God. That God is inviting you to come to Him. Would you come to the altar right now? That's you right now. The Lord is saying, Son, my daughter, haven't you been hurt enough by taking your mourning and your grieving to others who can't do anything with it? And he's inviting you to take your mourning to him, to allow him to coach you through your mourning and your grieving. He's a good healer. He promises he will comfort you. So if that's you today and you say, you know what? I want to learn to run to the Father. I want to learn to also to run to others who are going to encourage me to seek him and not to go in the wrong directions. I go, I go through patterns, some would say, Pastor, I go through patterns of going to the wrong people for the wrong counsel when I'm going through hard stuff and I find myself in the same place. Well, Maybe today, God's saying, run to me and trust me with your mourning. Maybe you're here today. And what you need to respond to is the reality that you're in desperate need of a Savior. You know, something that happens is that uh, as Christians, we grow up and we think we get to this point where we're, we don't need him as badly as we need him needed him yesterday. <laughs> we need him even more so now. Hey, if, if you're saying, you know what, I'm a Christian for many years, I've been a Christian, but I realize that lately I've been doing life with little reliance on God. So today I want to repent and say, Lord, I want to be poor in spirit and live my life dependent on you. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? We love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. God wants to be who you rely on. He is your provision. He is the one who makes a way out of no way. So if the altar workers would join me here, we'll be praying. Again, for those who are here and you need a healing touch from God, we'd love to welcome you to come. We'd love to pray for you. And if you're here today, most importantly, listen to me. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he loves you. And he invites you to have a relationship with him today. So if that's you today, would you come meet me? I'd love to pray with you and welcome you into the kingdom of God. God bless you. God bless you. Let me pray with you. God, thank you for your church. Thank you that in an unfair world, you're still a good God. Thank you that you're a God who is just and that we can trust you, Father. Lord, I bless your church. Help us to continue to grow, to be the gift, to have the character that you desire in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. The altars are open if you need prayers.